The title of our message today is The False Prophet Explained. Here we have another key player in the last day's events. We saw the beast, who is the Antichrist, who is a political leader, and now we're going to see the false prophet, who is a religious leader. Both of them have the power of the dragon or the power of the enemy behind them. The false prophet establishes a new religion around the Antichrist. He makes the Antichrist the center and he commands all people to worship him. He receives worship as God. Jesus is God. Jesus received worship. We'll read a few of those texts here in a little while. And the Antichrist is trying to be as much like Christ as he possibly can. Daniel 11.37 says of the Antichrist, he shall regard neither the God of his fathers nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, nor shall, for he shall exalt himself above all things. So he's not worshiping anything. He isn't leading a religious organization. This is one of the reasons that I reject that the Antichrist could be one of the popes because he doesn't regard the God of their fathers. It's why I reject that he can't be uh, someone within Islam. The, the caliphate can't be the one world government order because he doesn't regard the God of his fathers. This is a new religion that puts the Antichrist at the center. And there's got to be a, a religion. Because this is a religion, there's got to be a religious leader. And that's who we're meeting today. Now, this is a copycat religion of Christianity. Just as Jesus was worshipped, he wants to be worshipped. And this is what Satan has wanted all along. He wanted to be above the stars of heaven and be like the Most High. And the Most High receives worship. When Satan was tempting Jesus, he said, bow down and worship me and I'll give you all the kingdoms and all of their glory. And Jesus said, the Bible says, you shall worship the Lord your God and him alone shall you serve. He still wants to be worshiped. Now I want to show you first of all that Jesus received worship. In Matthew 2, 11, it says, and when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. This is the wise men who went to Herod first and then went and found Jesus as a child. It wasn't the same night that he was born. They were in a house, but they bow down and they worship him, it says. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And just in case you think that this word for worship could mean another kind of word that doesn't mean worship, this is the same word that is used in Revelation when the angel says, worship God alone. Other people who tried to worship the things that were inappropriate, this is the same word that's used. In Matthew 28, 9, he receives worship again. It says, and they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, rejoice. So they came and they held him by his feet and they worshiped him. These are the women that went to the tomb. And as they were going back, they'd seen the angels who said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? And then when they came back, they saw him and they held him by his feet, which tells us there's something physical there. And they worshiped him. One more, John 9, 35 through 38. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. This is the man who was born blind. Jesus only did two miracles when he was in Jerusalem. One of them was a man born blind, that he put mud in his eye, sent him to the pool of Siloam. He received his sight and he was, <clears throat> he was grilled by the religious leaders. Who is this man? And he said, I don't know. And, and, and they continued until they finally excommunicated him. So Jesus went and found him. 
It says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he found him, he said to him, do you believe in the son of God? He answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I might believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, which is very little amount of time for a man who was born blind. You have both seen him and it is he who was talking to you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. The man now worshiped Jesus. And by the way, you've got Jesus there confessing to be the son of God. And remember that in Hebrews chapter one, God says to the son of God and to the son, he says, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. So God calls Jesus God and calls the son of God, God. And here Jesus admits to it and is worshiped. So the false prophet will set up a religion where the Antichrist and the dragon will be worshiped. That's the role of the false prophet. Revelation 13, four says, so they worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast and they worship the beast, that's the Antichrist, saying who is like the beast and who is able to make war with them. Just as the true God and the son receive worship, so the false prophet is there to ensure that the Antichrist and the dragon or Satan receives worship as well. What does Satan have in this whole thing at the end of the world? He gets to the point where people in the world worship him. All right, let's pick it up in our text. Revelation chapter 13, we're gonna start in verse 11. It says, then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. Now, last week in the first part of chapter 13, we saw a beast coming out of the sea. That was the Antichrist. The sea in the Bible is generally a reference to humanity. So he comes out of humanity. Remember that he is referenced in Daniel 9 as one of the people who, uh, descendants of the people who destroyed the city of Rome. That would be, excuse me, the city of Jerusalem. That would be the Romans in 70 AD who destroyed the city. So the Antichrist is going to have some kind of Roman roots. Here it says that this beast comes out of the earth. It's an interesting phrase. It literally means comes out of the land. And some believe because of the, the phrase in the original language that out of the land means that he's Jewish. The land meaning a reference to Israel. He comes out of the land. So the Antichrist comes out of the Gentiles, but the, but the false prophet comes out of the land. Perhaps it goes on to say, um, that I saw a beast coming out of the earth and he had two horns like a lamb and he spoke like a dragon. He shows up like a lamb. A lamb was an animal of sacrifice. The Bible uses a wolf in sheep's clothing to talk about false prophets. And it's a very bad thing, right? You, 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 show, you, appear, you show yourself as being a lamb which is sacrificial. That's the idea of a lamb. A lamb is sacrificial. And every true pastor, every true leader, every person that has committed their lives to God to be used by God is to sacrifice and to, to be ministering to people for the sake of the person, not for their own sake. In fact, the Bible clearly says, do nothing through selfish ambition. However, a wolf does everything for himself. He is a predator and he prays and there are people that come into the church and they are wolves in sheep's clothing. So when Jesus was asked by his disciples in Matthew 24, when will these things take place and what will be the sign of your coming? His very next statement was, be careful that you are not deceived. 
for many false prophets are going to go out into the world and claim that they are me. So he tells us it's our responsibility. It's your responsibility to make sure you're not deceived. As a pastor, I want to help equip you so you can identify deceit when you see it because the last thing you want to do is receive from a wolf in sheep's clothing or a wolf, I'll put, the, I'll put the L in there, a wolf in sheep's clothing, right? You want to, you want to receive from someone who is sacrificial, from the, the lamb who is a lamb and not a lamb who is a wolf. Now, this guy is like the worst of the worst. He is a, a, a dragon in a lamb's outfit. When it says here that he had two horns like a lamb, a horn in the Bible is a symbol of power. So he has the power of a lamb. Jesus is the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And he looks like, like, like Satan. The Bible says that Satan shows himself as an angel of light. He doesn't appear as he really is, but he presents himself as an angel of light. And then it says, and so do his ministers. That's why when you turn on the television and there's an overly polished preacher who's preaching to you, but he's not teaching the gospel and he's not teaching the truth. He's talking about how your life can be better and how you can be happier and how you can have more joy and how you should be more enthusiastic, but he doesn't preach the gospel. You don't see a wolf in there. You see a lamb. We don't, they didn't see a, we don't see a lamb, a, a dragon when we look at the false prophet, but he really is a dragon. It is like a, a wolf in sheep's clothing on steroids. That's what the, false, what the false prophet is all about. In verse 12, it says, and he exercised all the authority of the first beast in his presence. So there was an equality between the Antichrist and the false prophet. They both get their power from the dragon. So he exercised all the authority of the first beast in his presence. That's verse 12. Revelation 13, 2 says, now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet like a bear, his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, throne, and great authority. So the authority the false prophet has comes from the dragon. The dragon in the book of Revelation is always Satan. It's, we've, and we've been, we're told that in the last chapter, previous chapter. The dragon, the serpent of old, Satan, the devil. We're told directly. We don't have to guess. Revelation 13, 4, also talking about the authority of the Antichrist, says they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast and they worshiped the beast, that's the name for the Antichrist here, saying, who is like the beast and who is able to make war like him? So the authority that he has is the same as the beast. Now it goes on to say, same verse, and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the beast whose deadly wound was healed. Now we're learning more and more. We're able now to ascertain, remember the beast coming up out of the sea had seven heads and 10 crowns or 10 horns and 10 crowns that were on them. And one of the heads was wounded and then uh, was healed. So the deadly wound was healed. And then they worshiped the beast because of the deadly wound that was healed. Well, now we learn that that wasn't something happening within the, uh, the one world power, the last one world power, but that it's the individual himself that the Antichrist receives a deadly wound, here it says with a sword, and that's healed. Now we talked about this last week. This is the devil's answer to the resurrection. 
We talk about Satan's power, what he can and cannot do. One of the things I think that he cannot do is raise someone from the dead. I think that only God can do that. But he can mimic a fatal wound that is healed so that people probably see him attacked and there's no way anybody could survive. It's probably on national TV. And then he's healed and now everyone worships him. But now we learn that they don't just spontaneously start worshiping him, but behind the scenes, there's this religious leader that causes all the people to worship him. We're seeing it work together. We learned at the very end of chapter 12 that the dragon turns to attack those who follow Christ. And then we learned that the Antichrist is the arm on which he uses to attack those who follow Christ. And now we learn that the power behind the Antichrist is a religious leader who causes all people to worship him. We're going to get more details as to how that actually happens. In Revelation 13, 3 and 4, it talks about this deadly wound. It says, I saw one of the heads as if it had been mortally wounded and its deadly wound was healed and all the world marveled, followed the beast so that they worshiped the dragon and they gave authority to the beast and they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast and who is able to make war with him? If he can handle a deadly wound, maybe an assassination attempt, that's why they said, who can make war with him? Then we can worship him and we can live for him. Now, again, this is as close as Satan can get to a resurrection. Verse 13, back to the false prophet. He causes everyone to worship the beast. And then it says, he performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast. Now notice again, just like the beast was granted to do several things, just like the dragon was granted to do several things, the false prophet is now granted to do several things. One of the things that he's do is he's granted the ability to be able to call fire down from heaven and to deceive people with signs, which tells us something about miracles. We talked about miracles this last weekend. What's the purpose of miracles? Why are they clustered together in the Bible? And what does a miracle do? Remember, a miracle is a sign that points to something else. A miracle is not evidence of truth. A miracle is a sign that causes you to evaluate something. So there can be lying wonders. There can be lying miracles. I, I shared on Sunday, I could do a magic trick. When I was a kid, I went to the magic store. I bought some magic tricks. I could do magic tricks. I can do magic tricks now that my grandkids can't figure out how they're done. That's how good I am. Not to say very much, but you have to evaluate it then. Listen to what 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 and 10 says about these lying wonders and miracles. It says, again, 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 and 10, the coming of the lawless one, that's the Antichrist, to the working of, uh, uh, is according to the working of Satan with all powers signs and lying wonders and with unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. So there's miracles that turn them to the Antichrist. They don't have a love for the truth so they don't end up rejecting what they should reject. Remember when Moses did certain miracles that the magicians mimicked and copied the miracles of Moses? 
Now, they could only do it to a certain point, but they did it. So miracles are not are never an end in themselves. Even the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, the greatest miracle of all times, is a sign that points to him, his deity, and to his death and living so that we can live as well. There are truths that are behind the resurrection. The resurrection isn't given just to, so people can see it and attest to the truth. That's not the way that God does things. If that were the case, then God would just be doing miracles for every generation. Every few generations or every, I don't know, decade or so, he would do a new miracle and then people would follow after him. But miracles are there to point us in a direction to help us to find the truth. And here the Antichrist uses lying wonders just as Jesus used real miracles to point to himself, like walking on the water, like calming the seas. Those weren't lying wonders, but those were real abilities. Now, 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 and 22 says, test all things. You don't just see something. You don't just hear something. Like the wolf in sheep's clothing, you just don't hear a message and go, that sounds good. He quoted a couple of scriptures. It must be right. Every once in a while, when I'll bring up someone who is a false teacher or someone who teaches a false teaching, which is more of what I do. I, I try to stay away from judging someone. I'm not afraid to judge someone who is a false teacher as being a false teacher. I think Joseph Smith was a false teacher. But sometimes I think there are people who are genuine, but they're teaching false teachings. And so the prosperity movement that teaches that God wants you rich, that's a false teaching. Are these guys false teachers? Some of them, I'm sure. But how do I know their hearts? How do I know that they're not deceived, genuinely follow God and teach a false teaching? So what do we do? 1 Thessalonians 5, 21, 22. We test all things. This, this false prophet brings the biggest deception and deceives the entire world into worshiping the Antichrist. So false prophets are good at what they do. And so it's in, 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 we must test all things. See if it holds up to what we've been given as the word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God, is profitable for reproof, for correction, for doctrine, that the man of God could be thoroughly equipped, lacking in nothing for every good work that God has given him to do. So you use the word of God to test all things. Hold fast to what is good, it says, and abstain from uh, every form of evil. The Bible clearly says those that teach godliness as a means of financial gain, withdraw yourself from them. That's 1 Timothy chapter 6. Now he goes on in verse 14 and says, telling those who dwell on the earth, it says, um, he was granted to do all these miracles, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image of the beast who was wounded by the sword and live. So now the false prophet who, who has been granted to do lying wonders now commands people on the earth to build an image of the beast. So, so I, I think that this is an appeal to technology because he could certainly have it built, but he commanded the people of the earth to build an image. It says he was granted power. Again, the, the Antichrist was granted this power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Now, there's so much going on here. 
first of all, this brings us back to Nebuchadnezzar that has a dream of an image that has the head of gold and the breastplate, uh, the chest of silver, the stomach of brass, the legs of iron, right? And, and Daniel tells him, you're the head of gold, but you're going to be supplanted by another kingdom inferior to you, that's silver, another kingdom, which was Greece, another kingdom, which was Rome. So what does Nebuchadnezzar do? He builds a statue of all gold. I ain't going to be replaced. And he builds a statue of all gold, and then he commands everybody has to bow down to the, the statue. And there were three people who didn't, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They wouldn't bow down. And they were taken and were thrown into the fiery furnace. So now, here we, we, we move up. That was the first world leader, Nebuchadnezzar. God said to Nebuchadnezzar, everything under the world is subject to you. I've given you that power. Now we have the last world leader, the Antichrist, and the false prophet demands an image to be made of the Antichrist and the entire world to bow down to the image. So, so nothing's really changed in how many years? You know, 3,000 years since Nebuchadnezzar. 3,600, 2,600 years since Nebuchadnezzar. Not much has really changed. Still desiring men to bow down. Now, when it says it was granted to him to give life, it's interesting that we live in a technology world and we're reading a book about the future and it talks about things that have to have technology plugged into it. We saw that when the two witnesses were killed, that their bodies laid out for three and a half days and then they were resurrected and went up to heaven and the entire world saw it. Now that couldn't happen unless we had, you know, what we have today, the entire world being able to watch one event. So they watched, the entire world was able to watch it. So technology had to make that happen. Now, is that technology, if it's in 100 years, will the technology that we have today that allows people around the world to see an event while it happens, will it be the same technology in 100 years? Or will a better technology replace that? We don't know. And you go, you think it might be 100 years before Christ returns? Hey, to God, a day is like a 1,000 years and a 1,000 years is like a day. The Bible says that God is not slack concerning his promises. He wants to return but his desire is that all would be saved and all would come to the knowledge of the truth. He wants more, he loves people, he wants more people to make it into heaven, so he's waiting. So yes, even though it looks like it's, could, it, it's gotta be the end, don't you think you would have felt that way if you were 25 years old in 1942 and Hitler was doing all of his atrocities against the Jews? Don't you think you would have felt like, this has gotta be the end, there's a world war, we got a, a madman, this has gotta be the Antichrist. You would be thinking that then. Who knows that this might not be some kind of a birth pain where things seem to be more evident, maybe a worse one than then, and then things will calm down again. And in 100 years, the technology that will allow us to be able to see one event around the world will still be able to see it, but it may be a completely different technology. For example, it might be satellites. Now we see things around the world through cable systems and a connection of satellites and different things that happen. But, but there will be a different technology that will take place in less than 100 years that will allow that to happen. Now, I bring that up because the Bible said that the entire world was going to take a mark and that that mark was going to allow them to buy and sell anywhere. It's in this chapter. We're going to read in a couple of minutes that if you don't have the mark, you can't buy and sell. So initially, it's thought that that's a tattoo, right? Or a tattoo, as some people call them. And you get the tattoo on your forehead and the back of your hand 
And the original movies on, the, on Revelation that were made actually had people receiving a tattoo on the back of their head. And then a barcode came out. And people started looking at the barcode. And we were told that there's two large barcodes, in the, one in the middle and two on each side, and those represent six. It's 666. The barcodes, they're, they're the mark of the beast. Now, I don't know what that means. You're buying your milk with the mark of the beast on it. I'm not quite sure what that means. But people were worried. Should we buy things with barcodes on it? Then there were credit cards. Maybe credit cards before barcodes. I get lost on what came first. And, and now I can buy things. I got a number. We're each given a number. And now we can buy or sell with that number. Or we can at least buy with that number. So is that the mark of the beast? And people are worried about it. Should we use credit cards? Listen, first of all, whatever the mark of the beast is, you're not going to take it by accident. You're going to know what you're doing. You're not going to wake up and go, it was credit cards all along, and now I took the mark of the beast. It says, those that take the mark of the beast cannot be saved. They, they, they are beyond salvation. They reject Christ to the extent that they cannot be saved. You will not take it by accident. You will know you are taking it. This harkens back to giving allegiance to the Roman emperors. You will be given allegiance to the Antichrist when you take it. Now, then chips came along, right? You're able to chip your pet, which is a locator chip, right? So if they find your cat, they check for a chip, they can find your information about that. Well, they have chips that they can inject into you. And some companies, I don't know, 20 years ago now, maybe longer, wanted to put chips inside of all the people that worked for them, like in their hands, so that they could have access into certain areas, into certain computers, into certain things. And people were like, I ain't taking that. That's the mark of the beast. Now we go, eh, not quite sure that's the mark of the beast. Um, maybe the, the, the mark of the beast is, is cryptocurrency. It's programmable money. They can program it to have a date where you can't spend it anymore. They could program it to take it away from you if you don't fit certain requirements. So that's the value. People say, I don't understand. I don't understand Bitcoin is nothing. Well, your program on your computer is nothing. I have a Logos program on my computer, which allows me to do Bible study. It's very expensive. I bought it a long time ago, and it's very expensive. But it really is nothing. It's, it's a program. It's a bunch of, of zeros and, and what, is, what are programs? Zeros and ones, is that right? It's a bunch of zeros and ones. It's nothing, but it's valuable. And it's extremely valuable to me. And so Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, has a value that it is programmable. There's, it's, it's not just like having nothing. In fact, if you compare a dollar bill to a programmable uh, dollar, pretty soon the dollar bill is going to be nothing and the programmable U United States coin is going to have value, even though it's nothing. Because when you think about it, what is the dollar? How much, how much value, how much is that paper worth that's in that dollar? So it really is nothing. It's the same thing. It works on the same principle, except it's programmable money. Now, if the Lord waits 100 years to, before he comes back, what else are we going to have? What other kind of technologies? So when you look at the, him giving life to the beast, is this AI, artificial general intelligence, where the beast is programmed, this image of the beast is a robot, that's made by the people of the world and then it's programmed with artificial intelligence and it becomes self-aware and it's able to command people to be killed who won't bow down and worship him. 
Maybe. I could tell you this. Artificial intelligence, uh, chat, GPT, um, the Google, whatever it is, all of these are not what they've sold you on so far. They, they, they're, they've, you've been sold that if you ask it to write you a paper, that it can write you a paper, or you can ask it to write you a sermon, that you could, it can write you a sermon, and it can do some of those things basically, but it only can spit out what's been programmed into it. And the, and the values of the person programming it are the values that are being spit out now. That's what's coming out. And so when you ask it questions and it responds in a certain way, it's responding in the way that those that programmed it want it to be. And those are people that are in the world. They happen to be the same people that are making our movies, they happen to be the same people that are running Disney, they happen to be the same people that are, are, are programming what's going into AI. So when you start asking it questions, it's going to respond to you based on that. And there have been some interesting experiments that have been done where misinformation has been given out by at least uh, chat GPT. So could this be a robot that has artificial intelligence? And is there, ever, is there really a chance that artificial an art artificial intelligent robot would become self-aware? Could they really become like, I, I know who I am and I'm a person. I've been programmed and I'm a person. The answer to that is probably not. Now, if a program is advanced enough and has a connection to a robot who might be connected to other robots, you know, the, the, the famous, what's the famous question? You know, you've got an artificial intelligence robot and you ask it to make the best paper clip you can make. Innocent enough, right? So it starts calculating. It starts getting all the information it has access to. And it starts calculating. And it finally decides the best way to make the best paper clip is to kill humans. So now the artificial intelligence goes out through the robotic work to kill humans, not because it's personal, but because it's trying to make the best paper clip and humans hinder making the best paper clip. So that's kind of the thought. Elon Musk, who's the first time I've ever quoted him from the, from the pulpit, by the way, Elon Musk said, it's like when we're building a road and there's an ant pile in the way, we don't have a problem with those ants. We don't have a hatred for those ants, but we wipe them out because we got a road to build. And that's the danger of AI. At some point, it, when it is robotic, which it's not now, it's just a computer, but when it's connected with robotics, there could be a time where it would say, nothing personal, but you guys are in the way of what I've got to do. So that's kind of, the whole thing there. So could this be? People say this is. You know, you hear people, in the, this is a robot AI, an AI robot. Could it be? Maybe. Could it be that he has been granted to bring life to this thing? That the, the false prophet, this is a, like calling fire down from heaven, that he gave it breath and then it became alive and that it was able to tell that? M maybe. So this beast sees who worships him, and those who won't worship the image are killed. Now, Revelation 12, 17 says, and the dragon was enraged with the woman and went to make war with the rest of the offspring who kept the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So that's who the, the beast is having killed. This is how 
Revelation 12, when the, when the dragon wants to kill Israel, but turns around and attacks those that have a testimony in Jesus Christ, this is how it's happening. We've been having the picture drawn for us the whole time. That it's by them not bowing down to the image of the beast. And what did it say earlier in this chapter? That the beast was granted authority over the, those uh, who were Christians. Or uh, given authority over, um, I can't remember the exact wording, but in essence, that's what it says. See if I wrote it down here. Now, if, yeah, yeah, I did. Good. Revelation 13, 7. My mind's tracking today just like it was earlier when I wrote my notes. It says it was granted to him to make war with the saints. That's how it was termed. It was granted to the Antichrist to make war with the saints and to overcome them, to overcome them. And authority was given over every tribe, tongue, and nation. So there's nowhere you could go to escape because authority is given to the Antichrist to overcome the saints. This means if you are a Christian in the tribulation period, there's no surviving. I don't know if any, any, anyone will survive being able to make it the three and a half years without being able to buy and sell, escaping the machine of what the Antichrist has. Now, Israel has been taken by two wings of an eagle out into the wilderness where they will survive for three and a half years and they'll go into the tribulation, I mean, into the millennium being ruled by Christ where Christ fulfills all of his promises he made to Israel. But if you're a Christian and you're in the tribulation period, you're suffering. You're gonna be, you're gonna be martyred. Now listen to the promise that God made to faithful Christians in Revelation 3. He said, because you have kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. That's a promise that we will be kept from that hour of testing. This is why I believe that we will be caught up in the air, meet the Lord in the air and will forever be with the Lord. And 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that we are going to be changed. Not everybody's going to die, but some are going to be changed in a moment and twinkling of an eye that that's going to happen before the tribulation period. And those who become Christians have to face that wrath. But we've been promised that we will not face the wrath that is to come. That's 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, which when you read it in context is talking about the, the tribulation period. We've been saved from the wrath to come. It's not talking about general wrath. It's talking about the wrath that comes from the tribulation period. Let me read you Luke 21, 34 through 36. Jesus is talking about the last days in Luke. He says, but take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, with drunkenness and the cares of this life, and that day come upon you unexpectedly. So we're supposed to be ready. Jesus said, you don't know when I'm coming back. This is 2,000 years ago. You don't know when I'm coming back. So be ready. You got to be ready all the time. And if your heart gets weighed down with carousing drunkenness and the cares of this life, the day can come upon you unexpectedly. You're not ready. For it will come as a snare on all of those who dwell on the face of the earth. That's the same verbiage it uses in Revelation 3.10 to test those who dwell on the earth. It comes as a snare to all those who dwell on the face of the earth. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. If he's not talking about praying to escape the tribulation period, what is he talking about? What are we praying to escape? What would it be? I don't know. Maybe I'm just missing it. Maybe I don't have it, but I don't know. He's talking about, that's the context. The context is the end of the world. And you pray that you'd be counterworthy to escape all these things and to stand before the son of man. 
which would be being caught up before the tribulation period to meet the Lord in the air, being transformed before the tribulation period. Now, verse 16, he causes all small and great, rich and poor, free and slave to receive a mark on their right hand or their foreheads. Now, this is the false prophet that does this, not the Antichrist. The false prophet is doing it for the Antichrist. And that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So the number of his name is connected to him. Now, again, we don't know what the mark of the beast is. We have no idea. Uh, there could be any number of technologies that are here or might be here in the future. As I said, people were terrified in times past of certain technologies. There's no reason to be afraid of any technology because you have to give an allegiance. You'll know when it's the mark of the beast. So it says, here is wisdom. Let him who understands calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, 666. Now, I don't have time to talk about all of the people that have been claimed to be the Antichrist, but you've heard Henry Kissinger, right? Ronald Wet Reagan, because it was Ronald Wilson Reagan, 666, six letters in each name, Ronald Wilson Reagan, that's the Antichrist. Uh, there's other reasons they thought Ronald Reagan was the Antichrist. Um, it, just goes, it just goes on and on. And um, popes that are the Antichrist, it can't be a pope. And it cannot be an Islamic leader, I don't believe, because he does not honor the gods of his fathers. So it cannot be one of those guys that is going to be the Antichrist. Who is it? Well, it's interesting, 666, and in some early manuscripts, 616 is used. Now, ancient languages have numbers to letters, so you can add up a name. Each one of the numbers in Hebrew, in Greek, and Aramaic have a number that goes with the name. Now, Bart Ehrman, the New Testament, uh, the New Testament scholar and Christian critic, okay, he's not a Christian, he's a critic, has done some work on this. And he says that in the Aramaic, if you calculate Caesar Neron, which is the way it would be said in Aramaic, that you get 666. If you say, if you calculate Caesar Nero, and I'm not sure if that's in Greek or Hebrew, I would assume Greek, maybe Latin. I, I don't think he said, but if you calculate 616, it comes up to Caesar Nero. It would have been well known. Nero was called the beast. Nero ruled for 14 years and was a madman. His, his mother murdered to get him onto the throne. He murdered his mother to continue. Well, he just murdered his mother, could do what he wanted to do. He, he forced people to listen to his music, which he wasn't a very good musician, forced people to listen to him. He burned down part of Rome and then blamed it on the Christians and was the first one to ever persecute the Christians, first emperor to persecute Christians. He gathered together thousands of them and he tortured them. You've heard that he had a party and he blamed the burning of Rome on Christians. This is why he was doing it. He had a party and he covered Christians in pitch, tied them up and hung them up and lit them on fire, drove his chariot through this event as, as the, the, the entertainment while Christians were screaming from being burnt to death as being living torches that were there. The early Christians called him the beast. So the number probably represents back to a Roman emperor as the leader, as the beast. 
Who will the Antichrist be? He will be the head of the Roman, the Roman revived, the revived Roman Empire. He will be a madman. He will persecute Christians. He will be like Nero. He will hold all of the, the Nero was a type of what the Antichrist was going to be. Now, you can't say that Nero is the future Antichrist because we're being told about Antichrist that does things that Nero never did. Nero doesn't fulfill what were the first few verses of this are. Besides that, Nero died in 64, 68. Nero died somewhere in the late 60s. And this was written in the 90s. So this was written 60, say 60, that Nero died 68 AD. This was written in 90 AD. So they're reflecting back to the kind of person Nero was when they're looking at who the beast is. Now, could Bart Ehrman be wrong? And that's not what 666 is? Most certainly, all right? But in all of the time that I've been pastoring for 38 years, that's the best explanation that I've heard for what the number of the beast is. Would I, would I, would I, would I bet my house on it? No, I wouldn't bet my house on it, okay? But it probably, as I look at it, I think this is what it probably is. It reflects back to the kind of man that the beast is going to be. He will be a murderous madman who is the head of the revived Roman Empire. Now, three things in closing. Number one, the false prophet starts a new world religion. So we shouldn't point to a pope or to some imam that they are the, the false prophet. This is a new world religion. This is a secularist who takes on uh, wanting to be worshipped. He's a politician who wants to be worshipped. Shocking that any politician would want to be worshipped. Number two, miracles point to the truth that can be tested. That's what the miracles in Genesis are about. That's what the miracles in Exodus, the giving of the law are about. That's what the miracles of Elijah and Elijah are about. That's what the miracles of Jesus are about. And that's what the miracles around the apostles were about. Giving us a sign to point to something that could be tested. You don't believe the, the, what they, is said because of the miracles. The miracles cause you to give more information to around that time that the miracles happened. And the same thing is true here. Just because there's miracles doesn't make it true. Finally, no wonder when Jesus was asked about the last days, he said, take heed that you are not deceived. Because there's a false prophet who's out there ready to deceive. And, and he's going to be here one day. But there are many false prophets today. Many false teachers today. And you could so easily be deceived if you let your guard down. No true lamb, instead of a wolf and lamb, no true sheep is going to say, don't test what I say. Don't check it out. But, they, but you hear people say that. Don't, you know, we say, you know what, what you're saying is not biblical. And they go, don't touch God's anointed. Okay, I won't. I won't come after you with a knife, I promise. What you're teaching is wrong. We're not touching God's anointed by saying that what they're teaching isn't biblical. That's not touching God's anointed. The, when David said, I won't touch God's anointed, what he meant is I won't stick a, a sword in Saul. That's what he was saying. So they use don't touch God's anointed Meaning, don't you say a bad word against me. I, I've even heard a false teacher say, listen, people have said bad things about me, then they died. So you better be careful. And I think you maybe better be careful. And we test things by the word of God. Be a Berean.
Receive the word of God with all joy and then study the scriptures to make sure they're true. Look at what I'm saying. Don't believe I say it just because I say it. Study it and see it. And if you don't agree, then don't agree. We all test things, test all things, test the spirits behind things, the Bible tells us. All right, I have more to say, but I'm out of time. So I'll save it for another day. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, thank you for the time that we're able to spend here today studying the book of Revelation and looking at this wicked man that gives power to another wicked man that deceives the entire world. What an amazing thing. And Lord, we thank you that you have told us beforehand and that we can learn from this so that we are not deceived by wolves in sheep's clothing. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.